for what the fella said. In Italy, for 30 years under the Borgias, they had warfare, terror, murder, and bloodshed, but they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and the Renaissance. In Switzerland, they had brotherly love. They had 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Payne, get me the Jason Harding file and Mr. Martin's a large whiskey. I don't need your drinks, Calloway. You will. I don't want another murder in this case, and you were born to be murdered, so you're going to hear the facts. You haven't told me a single one yet. Have you ever heard of podcasts? Well? On the internet. There had been too many movie podcasts to go around, so a nice trade started here. Reviewing classic movies, diluting them with jokes to make the podcasts funnier. Do you see what that means? Are you too busy chasing a few podcasters to investigate a murder? These were murders. Movies with solid histories and reputations. Good movies. Bad movies. Children's movies. He even dared to review the film Titanic badly. The unlucky films had their plots torn apart, their reputations sullied. That is the racket Jason Harding organized. Calloway, you haven't shown me one shred of evidence. We're just coming to that. Payne, an MP3 player, please. You are now to listen to a podcast, Mr. Martins. Judge for yourself what type of man Jason Harding was. Press play, Payne. The other man you're about to hear is a fellow called Shives, a liberal nerd and general social agitator. He works with Harding and helped create the Late Seating Podcast. We forced him to give information to us, but we didn't arrest him, as our evidence wasn't complete and it might have spoiled our chances of getting others. I would like a word with this Shives. So would I. Bring him in. I can't. He's disappeared. Now do shut up and listen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I am Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and we give it a fresh review to see if it lives up to its reputation as to whether it's uh, good or bad. And this time around, we aren't really technically doing a classic movie, although it really should be one. It should be the movie that everyone knows, right, Steve? Oh, uh, yeah. You see, guys, we're breaking with format because it's Steve and I's birthday. I mean, not on the same day. Steve's, while we're recording this, Steve's birthday was like yesterday, two days ago. Yeah. Right? And mine is towards the end of the month. And we decided for our birthdays, we were going to review a movie that we have name dropped, I think, maybe 30 or 40 times. (laughs) (laughs) And then when every once in a while, someone will leave a comment going, how is the third man not a classic film? And I have to explain to them. The stupid reasoning that I have behind it, and that's basically this. Walk up to anyone and ask them what they, th- how, what they think of the third man. And if you have to remind them what the third man is, it's technically not a classic. It doesn't have the... It hasn't entered our cultural zeitgeist, like, gone with the wind. <laughs> Don't think about it, you'll just get upset. Or The Wizard of Oz, or Casablanca, or yeah, any of the go. other movies out there. So, that's what we're doing, right, Steve? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those weird instances of, you know, it's it's a film that it, it, pretty much anybody who knows about it considers it a classic. 
but not... Cinephiles, yeah, like me yeah, and cin- Steve. Movie nerds. And a lot of you out there. A lot of you guys out there. Yeah, and just... And just and I think that's where a lot of the confusion comes in, because we're yeah. not we're, we're not making decisions for what movies we review based on what we think our uh, audience will know, because they're probably yeah. mostly film nerds like us, but just the general public, the great unwashed. The, the people who have decided that Titanic is a classic film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So The, the people yeah. sitting around with their thumbs up their asses waiting for Justice League. Yeah, if we were going to do a bunch of really super great movies, we would have called this Camera Obscura. Hey, but now we're you're not, talking. But we're not. <laughs> we're not. We, we consign ourselves to the popular crap. But not this time. No. Not this time. Oh, my God. I'm holding my microphone with both hands, and I'm talking directly into your ears right now. <laughs> Guys... Oh, guys, this was such a joy to do. Oh, my God. I'm not... Fuck the review at the end. Everyone knows how we feel about this movie already. <laughs> yeah, there's not a, there's not going to be a lot of suspense. Nope, not <laughs> at all. recommend, not recommend this time. As, uh, Steve and I had to nip our conversation about this film in the bud before we record, because we would have easily done three hours before the podcast, and we didn't want to waste all of that precious uh, podcasting gold <laughs> just between ourselves. We wanted to share it with you guys. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're doing the third man, dude. So, do you have any trivia that you would like to share before I reveal the names of the gods and goddesses of cinema <laughs> that created this lustrous gem of a film? Well, there's not surprisingly uh, a ton of trivia about this oh, yeah. movie, but I will share <laughs> I will share the two bits that are my favorite little bits of trivia related to this film. Uh, the first is uh, sharp-eyed viewers of the opening credits will notice that the assistant director credited for this movie is a certain Guy Hamilton whose name people have heard on this show before, because Guy Hamilton went on in the 60s to direct uh, several of the James Bond films, including Goldfinger, which we reviewed on this podcast once upon a time. Uh, and, and he was also considered uh, in the running to direct uh, Superman before that went to Richard Donner. So he yeah. had quite a pedigree from uh, being the AD on The Third Man. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, this uh, film was... Uh, popular enough, or at least one of its characters was popular enough, uh, to warrant a radio show spinoff that was actually a prequel starring uh, Orson Welles called The Lives of Harry Lyme, and it was it ran for 52 episodes. So wow. it, was, it, it was popular enough in its day that, uh, that it, it had a very popular radio spinoff starring uh, one of its main cast members who was also one of the great voices so of, of radio. So it was a prequel series before this movie. Yeah, it was a prequel. It, it came out, I think it... it uh, or it, was it? Yeah. <laughs> It debuted two years after the movie came out, and it took place before uh, the movie, the, before the period that the movie covers. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't think the word prequel existed yet, but that's what it was. Right. <laughs> I'm going to go back in time and make it up and talk to Orson while he's doing the radio radio thing. I'm going to say, this is technically a prequel. And then he might actually get angry. <laughs> <laughs> a what? <laughs> All right. I want to do the movie now. I want to do, do the movie. Can we do the movie now, please? Let's do it. Do it. Talk okay, about yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about Yay. the people that made it. Okay. Um, it was directed by Carol Reed. Now, Carol, this is a British production. Carol Reed worked on a ton of British movies, none of which got, uh, you know, are that well-known, with one notable exception, one that I, I, I love a great deal, Our Man in Havana, um, which was also written by the person who wrote this. And I'll get to that name when I get to it. Stop pushing me through this. I'm enjoying and savoring every little tiny tidbit of this section. Because I don't have any complaints this time around, guys. This is me happy. This is Jason in his joy. 
<laughs> I know it sounds very similar to me being angry, but I'm mostly just angry because I was angry all the other times that we did this. Right, Steve? And you're angry because it's taken so long to review this movie. I'm angry because I had to had to freaking do cartwheels in order to get us to get to this movie and have to make it our birthday show. <laughs> you found a way, though. Uh, life <laughs> finds a way. Okay, it was produced by Carol Reed, Alexander Korda, and David Oselznik. Now, David was responsible for getting uh, some of the Americans into this film, most notably Joseph Cotton and Orson Welles. Um, so thank you, David. He dies shortly after this, doesn't he? He dies in 1965 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. He had, I, his heart probably exploded. <laughs> I, I can't imagine he was a terribly calm dude. Um, screenplay by Graham Greene, who, I, as I mentioned before, uh, also wrote Our Man in Havana. And he also wrote a book of the third man that they then used, he then used as the basis of the screenplay. I didn't realize how popular that was, where if you're going to be writing a movie, write the book first and then write the thing and then you release both at the same time. It was done quite a bit back in the day. Yeah, I know. It does. It's almost unheard of today. Yeah. Okay. Starring. Joseph Joseph Cotton as Holly Martins. I can't believe I'm saying these names on this podcast. <laughs> Valley. Now, I'm going to interject this. Valley is how she was credited. I can't remember what her full stage name is. I believe it was Alida Valley. Yes, that's correct. Her full name is Baroness Alida Maria Laura Altenberger von Markenstein Fraunberg. So, small wonder that her stage yeah. name was Alita Valley. <laughs> and she plays Anna Schmidt, Orson Welles, as Harry Lyme. Now, if you guys had never heard of it, you if you watched this movie like we asked you guys to, you're probably asking yourself the same question. Why isn't Harry Lyme as famous as the, the villain from the previous movie that we watched, Hannibal Lecter? He should be. Mm. I agree with you. Harry Lyme should be an iconic character that everyone knows about. But because people are stupid... <laughs> <laughs> There's that anger. No one knows about it. Everyone knows who Orson Welles is. Do I need to tell you who Orson Welles is? No. Do you think I need to tell him who Orson Welles is? Uh, not our wonderful audience. He played the giant planet-sized Transformer in the la- in the Transformer animated movie. There you there, go. How about that? I'm pretty sure he was on his deathbed when recording that dialogue. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The guy who looked like Santa Claus when he died. D- did he? A really he evil was... Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Trevor Howard as Major Calloway. Hmm. Now, you probably only recognize him from his other notable role as Prime Elder in Superman. Yes. <laughs> He's one of the dudes that gets to say, Steve. Guilty! <laughs> and he's also been in a ton of other stuff. Um, and I don't know why, because he's fantastic in this movie. Yeah. He really is. Um, Bernard Lee, as my favorite character in this movie, Sergeant Payne. <laughs> and you guys will recognize him as M from the Bond movies. He played M for, I think, eight movies. He was there from, from Connery to frickin', um He was there for Moonraker, for the yeah. love of Pete. He was there for a while. Um, Wilfred Hyde White. Wow, that name's familiar. Wilfred Hyde White. I mean, I know the actor. He played Pickering from My Fair Lady, and he was also in uh, Buck Rogers in the second season, playing some old old scientist. But uh, <laughs> Hyde White. How do I know that name, Steve? You don't know, um, do you? I, no, it's... Um... It's Mr. Fantastic's dad. Alex Hyde White, yes. 
from the the uh, the Fantastic Four movie. We, we can't reviewed. escape the Hyde Whites. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and as weird, near as I can tell, Wilfred Hyde White has played pretty much the same character in everything that he's been cast in. You guys will know him from everything because he was in. He's <laughs> if you look at his filmography, it just goes on forever. But he always plays the, the very British man with the high voice and doesn't seem to quite grasp what's going on around him. And that's who he plays in this one, <laughs> as Crabbin. Ernst Deutsch as Baron Kurtz. You know uh, you know what else he's been in? What else? He was Famulus in The Gollum. Oh, yes. The silent film. The original, the, yes, film. the classic silent film. He's a German actor. He's been around. He has a, a lengthy German uh, pedigree. Um, and then we have Eric Ponto as Dr. Winkle. He <laughs> Dr. also has Winkle? a pedigree. Yeah, he also has a pedigree, but unfortunately a lot of it we don't want to mention because he did it when he knew, <laughs> when the Nazis were in power and he did some anti-Semitic propaganda films for him. So, yeah. <laughs> his, yeah. <laughs> Siegfried Brewer as Popescu. Paul Horbiger, 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 yeah, whatever, sure. as Carl, who uh, plays Harry Lime's porter. Hedwig Bleibtrow, Bleibtrow, <laughs> Bleibtrow, Bleib, yeah. Bleib, Bleibtrow, whatever, as Anna's landlady. Alex Chesnikov as Brodsky. Herbert Halbick as Little Hansel. He wasn't credited, but I'm, you know, he, he has lines. He's kind of important at one point in the movie. Oh, yeah. And Carol Reed as the narrator. Now, there was an American version of this in which some, uh, some of the scenes were cut, and they replaced uh, Carol Reed as the narrator at the beginning with Joseph Cotton. We watched the original British version. I mm -hmm. believe that is the version that's available on DVD. That's the version that they have Eternal Classic Movies. That's just basically the version that everyone watches now. Yeah. Um, music by whole Guys, I don't own a whole lot of soundtracks. I really don't. But I own this one. <laughs> <laughs> music by Anton Karras. Anton, you play the fuck out of that zither. You go, boy! <laughs> yeah, and you know what else? Another little bit of trivia. The the opening title for this movie, that immortal first sound of the zither that we hear, was actually released as a single mm -hmm. and was a number one hit. Oh, yeah, for a reason. It's, in the United gets... States, yeah, not just in the UK, but in the United States as well. It was it was actually a huge hit, so. Everything I've been doing, I've been hearing that music, everything I've been doing, brushing my teeth, taking a dump, staring at the window, <laughs> wondering what I'm doing with my life, making these podcasts, that music's in the background, and it kind of, you know, it does what it does in the movie. It, it kind of makes everything okay. It makes everything It kind of makes yeah. everything, it kind of lightens the mood where you're going, oh, life is kind of dark. You play that music and everything's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Just like in real life. <laughs> the right soundtrack and just take all your blues <laughs> away, you know? It was edited by, oh, good job, Oswald Heifenrichter. <laughs> Cinematographer again, Robert Krasker. Way to go, Robert. Mm -hmm. I love you. I, if I can find out what you look like, I'm making busts of both of these. I'm gonna, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take all the DVDs of the crap movies. I'm going to melt them down and bust of you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Production company, London Films, distributed by British Lion Film Corporation in the UK, and Selznick releasing in the United States. It was released on September 2nd, 1949 in the United Kingdom, and uh, February 2nd, 1950 in the United States. Running time? 108 minutes. Guys, don't make movies anymore past that, that limit, okay? <laughs> 100 and f 108 minutes is perfect, okay? 
Why are you doing this? <laughs> if Carol Reed only needed 108 minutes to make to tell the third this story, man, yeah. What is your excuse? <laughs> now I don't have the budget, but I do have the box office, and unfortunately, it's in pounds. But it doesn't sound like a whole lot of money, Steve. $277,000 total British box office. I don't even know if it made any money in the United States. Hmm. And so there was not going to... I don't know how they do a sequel. <laughs> the fourth man. Oh, no. <laughs> Holly has another friend. Yeah. You know, there was a fourth <laughs> man there that day. Wait, what? <laughs> Holly just got a call from his friend Steve Martin and he in Cairo. <laughs> Holly, it's Steve Martin. There was a fourth man there in Vienna. <laughs> All right, Steve. Come on, let's get dressed up. Let's oh, put okay. on our best suits. Okay. Let's put on fedora hats. You got it? I'm Good. ready. I'm ready. All right, let's travel to Vienna, which isn't nearly as pretty back in 1949 <laughs> as it is now. <laughs> it's pretty much a hellhole. <laughs> and let's both, hand in hand, let's try not to kiss each other when we go into this world. <laughs> okay, yes. I'll, I, I will try to restrain myself. <laughs> You're going to see me clasp my little hands together like a little child in glee and just run <laughs> screaming into the world. <laughs> I'm going to pull that body out of the Danube and I'm going to kiss it. I'm finally here. I'm here in Vienna. <laughs> you know how when kids run into Disneyland, that's what we're doing right now. Running into the third man. <sighs> and into the world of the third man, Steve Take it away. Ah, uh, well, we open on shots of uh, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful from our perspective as yeah, film. Kind of open as like a travelogue is narrated by a racketeer. Yeah, it's it's Vienna and and it's post war Vienna, which mm. is as the narrator says with typical British understatement, it's been bombed about a bit. Yeah, it's been bombed about a bit. Uh, there's a lot of we it that to... is. We wonder at the rubble, rubble and marvel at the bodies of racketeers in the Blue Danube River. Yes, and he exactly, yeah. And the the, the narrator is is supposedly uh, someone who has been involved in the post war black market in the rackets. And I love uh, how he delivers this uh, this uh, narration because he's delivering it as if he's talking to you, like in straight dialogue. Yeah, exactly. Like you're having coffee with him or something. Yeah, and he's going to tell you that he. Oh, this reminds me of a little story I heard. Yeah, I was going to tell you about Holly Martins and how he came to. Yeah, so uh, it's mm -hmm. yeah, it's a really wonderful narration, and uh, and it's very short, and it tells us everything we need to know. This is Vienna. This is after the war. The city has been divided into quarters, which are each mm -hmm. controlled by the post-war powers. One half, one quarter is controlled by the English. By the Lannisters, the other is controlled by the Starks. <laughs> the no, Klingons. <laughs> the Klingons are there. <laughs> and the uh, Rebel Alliance is in the south. The, the House <laughs> of L. What is it? It's German? The German? No, no the, Ang the, Russians? the English, the Americans, the French, and the Russians. Yeah. We yeah. don't see much of the French. No, no. <laughs> They're too busy. Who cares about the racketeer? Whatever. As long as he doesn't steal our French bread. <laughs> <laughs> they buy cigarettes and they look the other way. You know? Exactly. They're the ones helping him, probably. Yeah. 
<laughs> and so we now that we've established where we are and what the deal is, uh, we meet our protagonist, which is Holly Martins, played by mm-hmm. Joseph Cotton. And he is uh, just getting off the train, and he's supposed yep. to meet his friend, Harry, mm-hmm. Harry Lime, and he doesn't see him anywhere. That's also where we only meet the only American soldier. Yeah. Or American, period, other than other than Other than oh, Holly. I, I don't want to give it away, but, you know, other than, you know, later. Yeah. There is one more American that we meet. Yes. Yeah, there is one more, but this guy's like, hey, buddy. <laughs> I'm an American. Welcome to hell. <laughs> what, what are you here for? Hey, what are you doing here? Penicillin? No, thank you. <laughs> hope, you hope not. <laughs> I've had I've had gonorrhea now for twelve months. Hey, hey, hey this penicillin, penicillin ain't doing nothing. <laughs> oh, I'm kind of jumping ahead in the plot, but just <laughs> avoid the penicillin, okay? <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so he, he his his pal Harry was supposed to meet him. His Harry was the one who told him to come, and now he's not there to meet him. So he goes to the building where Harry lives, mm-hmm. and he's you know outside Harry's apartment. Nobody's Knocking. answering the door, yeah. and, and there's the, a guy there um, cleaning. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, hello, my name is Carl, and I'm not with the English. Good." <laughs> I am here to provide exposition. And also, perhaps, maybe to die later. (laughs) Speaking of dead, your friend Harry. (laughs) Sorry, he is dead. Cut to... A funeral. Yeah, where we meet everybody in the movie. (laughs) Everybody else is at the funeral. Yeah, we meet... uh, This is... This is into exaggeration. I think the only person that is not at this funeral is Popescu. Is Popescu there? I don't know if he is. Okay. He might be, but he's he, we don't really linger on him. Yeah, we show um, up, there's a guy in a black trench coat eyeing Holly, and then there's an army guy eyeing Holly, <laughs> and then there's these two other guys who are eyeing Holly as well, and there's Dame there that couldn't give a fuck if he was there, <laughs> and they're burying Harry Lime, and he's like, ah, I was a friend of Harry Lime, and they're like, who, who cares? Who are you? Go Shut away. up. Yeah, you be quiet. And he throws some dirt on the thing, and the lady leaves. And so Holly does what Amer- real Americans do when their friend is dead. Right, Steve? Yeah. He, he goes, goes to a bar, and he drinks. He goes and gets <laughs> drunk. And one, one of the guys at the funeral uh, it turns out to be uh, Major Calloway. Well, we don't know that. He just sits down and starts talking to him. Yeah, yeah. But he he's, he sits down, and he's like, hey, he's only at the funeral, old man. I, I don't swing that way. I'm just here to see my friend, and he's dead. No, 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 no. I'm not gay. I'm English. What's the difference? <laughs> oh, oh, my word. <laughs> uh, well, uh, and he tells him, your friend was scum. Basically, yeah. It's good that he's dead. To hell with him. You, yeah, your friend was mixed up in racketeering. And, and and Holly seems to think that he knew that, but it was like gasoline and tires. Yeah, he didn't think he was doing anything all that bad. And when mm-hmm. he hears how low this guy thinks of, of Harry, he assumes, well, mm-hmm. they, he must have had like a big open case. And now he's just trying to pin it on Harry since he's dead. Yeah. So he mm-hmm. can close the case. And he doesn't mm-hmm. take too kindly to that. Yeah, and he tries to hit him, and then Sergeant Payne comes up, and he's like, Oh, I'm so sorry about that, sir. Let me get you up. I'm a big fan of your books, because it turns out Holly is a writer. Yeah, he's a, he's a pulp writer. He writes, like, he, westerns and stuff. He writes pulp westerns. Yeah. And um, Calloway is like, You are leaving. I'm buying you a plane ticket. Goodbye. <laughs> 
They pick them up and they take him to a hotel and they said, you'll be here one night and then that's it, right? Yeah, yeah. And he's, but then he runs in. To uh, Mr. Fantastic's dad. Yeah, to, to Crabbin, who mm-hmm. finds out, uh, I think through Sergeant Payne, that, that Holly is a writer. Right. And he's never heard of him and he has no idea what kind of books he writes. He doesn't, he doesn't no. know that he writes like lowbrow. He's a doddering of, fuck. Yeah. He, he acts much older than he looks. Oh yeah, and and he invites Holly to give a lecture because he's in he's in charge of the of the propaganda department, and yeah. he's, and he says we're going to have a lecture in a few days about the modern novel. Perhaps you'd like to join us and give us a lecture. And he's like, uh, you mean you'll put me up in the hotel like until then? Mm-hmm. And yeah, because like, I yeah. want to investigate my friend's death. Right, he wants to stick around and find out what happened to Harry and 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 ostensibly mm-hmm. clear Harry's name of whatever. Um, uh, Callaway thinks he has done right. So and he just says, as soon, yeah, and just as soon as he finalizes that with Mister Fantastic's dad in the lobby of plot convenience, <laughs> uh, he gets a phone call from Mister Not Suspicious. <laughs> yes, and he's like, "I understand. I can't even do the accent he's doing." No. <laughs> He's like, hey, I understand you're a friend of Harry Lime. And he's like, yep. Meet me at a cafe. Let's talk about it. And he's like, okay. You'll rec- I'll have one of your books. You'll recognize me. And they're like, oh, awesome. <laughs> a so fan. Now- yeah. So now we cut to coffee with Mr. Not Suspicious and his dog. And then we have a death reenactment. Right? <laughs> yeah. They, they talk a little bit about Harry. And then this guy whose name is Kurtz. Uh- Baron Kurtz. Ba- Baron Kurtz, yes, Some, sometimes referred to as the Baron. Uh, mm-hmm. He he takes Holly to the spot where Harry Lyme was killed, where he was yeah. he, he was standing right outside of his building where he lived, and there was someone, a friend of his, Papescu, across the street. Mm-hmm. Harry mm-hmm. was going to cross the street to meet Papescu, and then he was hit by a truck. And then we did a body switch, and, the, and then he was there. And oh, we, no. we carried him over to the side, pretended that it was Harry, and then Harry was there, and we said, oh, okay, now you got to go into hiding. And then, he, and then Holly, we all Holly's pretend, like, wait a minute, run that back? None what? of us could get our stories straight. What? Hmm? You, I'm sorry. You, you, what was that about a body switch? Okay, I'll go back over it again. Okay, so he was I, there, oh, and then oh. what happened was we pushed we push this other guy in front of the truck, and then we pick up his dead body, and then we move over there, so, and we pretend it's Harry. So it's good. So you murdered someone else and pretended that that was Harry. Where did you get that idea? Uh, Goodbye. <laughs> this is, I feel like I feel like we just sped through most of the plot. <laughs> Seems like a final act reveal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but he also finds out that there was a girl. Yes. Yes, Anna. Anna. So he goes to a play where Anna is like a bit player. And it's a hilarious period comedy, I guess. Yeah, in German. In German. And he goes backstage while the play's going on, and he says, Hi, I was a friend of Harry Lime. And she's like, I'm in the middle of something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting in the wings. Like, I'm two seconds from going on stage. Leave me alone. Uh-huh. Thanks for dropping that on me right before I'm about to pretend to be happy and giggling. <laughs> hey, I was a close friend of your dead boyfriend. Oh. Oh. <laughs> They meet up after the show's over, because she says, just after the show, God. Genius. And he meets her in the thing, and they talk about their her relationship with Harry, right? Yeah. And then they say, let's go over to Harry's place. We'll get inside. We'll look around. We'll get Carl a list. It'll be awesome. <laughs> and so now we get some Vienna uh, CSI in Harry's place a little bit, and then Carl shows up. 
And then um, Holly confronts Carl because Carl said it was three people, but yeah. the Baron said it was two people. And then Carl starts getting really upset. Like, I'd not talk to you anymore. You're no, I and he's panicking. And then we find out that um, there's another person watching this whole argument thing, and it's Hansel. Yeah, a creep, who's a, a, a little a creepy, boy, a creepy little child of the corn. <laughs> Creepy little child of the corn who's up late playing midnight ball because it's got to be like one o'clock in the fucking morning at this point. He watched a whole play. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so this little kid is just like, he's got a ball and he throws it in there. They throw it back and then he stares at them, absorbing every single word that's being said. And um, then that's, then they leave. They go back to Anna's place. What's happening at Anna's place? Uh, well, they're met by the landlady. Who tells uh, they, Aunt- they get met by an old world blanket witch yeah. is what they get met by. <laughs> Beware the blanket don't, witch. <laughs> don't if she offers you an apple, don't eat it. You can placate the the blanket witch with cigarettes. <laughs> She's she's speaking in, in German, some frantic German, mm-hmm. which Anna translates for the benefit of Holly, that uh, the police are upstairs tossing her apartment. Yep. And she almost, she, she goes upstairs, and uh, uh-oh, Calloway's there. Uh-oh. And so is Payne. And Payne's like, I'm terribly sorry about this, madam, but I have to take all of your private love letters, especially this one that says, I am naked, and I have sausage. And then it goes, oh, dear. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, definitely, definitely. Lads, we've got another one. <laughs> It's going to be a fun Saturday night. <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, don't worry Ooh. about it. We've all you drew pictures for this one. This one's fantastic. I'll give you a receipt. Here we go. <laughs> don't worry. We we hardly even notice it anymore. We've read so many of these. It's like we're like doctors. Oh Jesus! Have you seen page three? Sexy pony letters. Oh. They may be a bit sticky when they get back is, to you, but they will get back is, to you. Uh, is 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 the is the bit about the the birthmark true? We'll have to take her. Let's take her to the station. Can we take her to the station, please? Please. Oh, she's got, a, she's got a phony passport. We'd better take her in. Take her in. <laughs> You're going to have to come with us. So, yeah, she gives her passport, and they look at it, and they pretty much know it's fake. And then Anna admits to Holly that it's fake because she's Czechoslovakian. And that means that if the Russians find out about her, they're going to send her back to Russia or yeah. something. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's the idea that people who are who people who belong in the Russian zone apparently are being repatriated to Russia, and she doesn't want to go to yeah. Russia. She wants to stay in Vienna. I don't know why she wants to go to Russia. Sounds great. <laughs> I know, right? Russia in the fifties. Come on, <laughs> who doesn't want to go back to Stalin's Russia? <laughs> It was good enough for Paul Robeson. Look, I believe everything uh, good old Uncle Joe told us about Russia was supposed to be fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Is Warco's paradise. You'll come, see. (laughs) You'll enjoy. People who disappeared want to be disappear. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, come on. If so bad, how come... We make everybody's disappeared dreams come true. (laughs) (laughs) If if so bad, how come nobody ever leave? Huh? (laughs) So... We now cut to, they talk about how uh, someone mentions to Holly that he's got a, uh, he had a, a, the other person that was there was Dr. Winkle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So uh, they go, everyone ignore my dogs. I'm not getting up to shut my dogs up. (laughs) We want to talk about the third man too. (laughs) I'm going to kill, I'm going to kill them. How dare they? They've been quiet through all the other crap we've reviewed. (laughs) Be quiet. I'll kill you, you dog. You're ruining this. (laughs) <laughs> I was just going to talk about Dr. Winkle and the dog and then you started burning. Oh, it's all been ruined. It's all gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. 
anyway, so he shows up at Dr. Winkle's house. Dr. Winkle is cutting a chicken, and he's like, I hope no one shows up. (laughs) Person who I'm talking to that we don't show, because it's a close-up of cutting up a chicken. And the doorbell rings, and he's that the hands freeze. Uh And we're like, "Uh uh-oh, something. There's no good hijinks going on in that house. At least that's what we think, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at first, the, the, um, the, the maid, I guess, answers the door, and she tries to get rid of Holly. But then he mentions that he knew Harry Lyme, and the doctor's like, oh, let him in. And then he comes in, and he says, hello, my name is Dr. Winkle, not Winkle. And I also have a dog that looks eerily familiar. Yeah, he's like, hey, is that your dog? Oh, yeah, my dog. Yep, my, that's my yeah, that's mine. It's totally not Baron What's-His-Name's dog. That's my that's dog. my dog. <laughs> You see, we're not, you know, Baron and I, we're, we don't know each other and we're not in cahoots. We're not hiding. <laughs> Harry Lyme isn't in the next room eating chicken. That's, that's <laughs> what, why, why would that's you not, even that's, say that? That's just that's ridiculous. That's what's not happening. <laughs> it's preposterous. Why, it's, what do you, why How are you dare here? You? Why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> and he mentions the Casanova Club and Pro, Propescu. And so we're off to the Casanova Club, right? Yeah. And uh, he meets Propescu, and that's friendly, and he has another version of what happened uh, when Harry Lyme totally died. Yeah, he's dead, in case you had any doubts. Okay. Jeez. He's How many more times dead. do we have to change the story? <laughs> he's dead. And then we cut to a scene where all the dudes that we just met meet on a bridge. Yes. The totally not suspicious gang. <laughs> I'm sure they just wanted to say hi to each other. Mm-hmm. And um, now uh, Carl wants to talk, right? Yeah. He wants well, to talk to Holly, and he shouts at him from the street. And he's like, I want, it's important to you, so I was the talking. I'm shouting it out loud so that everyone knows that I'm going to talk to the American friend of Harry Lyme, who is totally dead, that I want to talk to you about that thing. Everybody hear that? You got it? I'm also alone. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not being coerced to say this. And Holly's like, okay. And then Carl turns from the window and has a stroke. He yeah. just kind of freezes in place. He he reacts with great uh, fright to something that is, or someone, mm-hmm. uh, that is in the room with him that we don't see. Do you think it's Frankenstein? Probably. It is Vienna. Yeah, it's probably. Frankenstein could be there. <laughs> and, and, and right before, right after the cut to the next scene, Frankenstein goes, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh, or no. we can edit it in. We can edit in the R, and then it justifies the freezing. He, he thinks I am his wife. Oh no! It's meet the Frankenstein. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so uh, Holly meets up with Anna, and he's like, "Hey, Carl wants to talk to us." And so they walk back to it's nighttime, and they walk back to to Harry Lamb's place. And oh no, there's a group outside. Oh yeah. And uh, turns out Carl's dead. Yeah, boy, he's super he's, dead. He's been murdered. And Hansel, the little kid, <laughs> yeah, the one, the child that doesn't sleep ever, apparently. <laughs> Starts pointing at Holly, and he says, Papa, he's the one meet the murder. He murdered him. <laughs> he says it over and over again, because he's kind of like a stool pigeon robot yeah, child. Yeah. He's like, Papa, listen to me. <laughs> I was playing meet the midnight ball like I like to do after I eat my stussel flagon. And I saw the man, they fight, and he said, I kill you. And then he did it. And what does Holly do? Holly's like, we are going to get out of here. I think we should run! 
on! <laughs> and then now, cut to what may be my, f- my favorite foot chase ever, in which two adults run away from a three-year-old child. <laughs> from, a, from a little boy who keeps chasing after them, yelling <laughs> at them. It's the opposite of the German mob. The little kid runs off on his own, and they're like, uh, are you going to follow your son Hansel? And he's like, you know what? We have a bad reputation for having for forming mobs and chasing people. I don't want to, I don't want to enable that stereotype any more than we have to. Let let Hansel run after him. He's a one man mob. <laughs> let him go. You've never seen him murder a whole plate of Spotskugel in the morning. He can take care of these guys. <laughs> if he doesn't tire himself out, he'll be up all night again playing ball. <laughs> Damn ball! Why? Why did we? Why did we use our stamps to buy a ball instead of food? Perhaps my wife would still be alive from the nutrition the food could provide. But he has such a smiling face, and also I think Hansel will murder me in, in the night if I don't. If he doesn't have the ball, I had no choice but to get the ball. <laughs> anyway. They figure, we'll duck into this porno theater. No kid's going to follow us in there, right? Right. Yes, exactly. So they duck into they duck into a, a, a porno. A cinema. And they say, we got to split up and lie low, right? Yeah. And then uh, Holly goes back to his hotel, right? Yeah. And, and he's like, you know, he rings the hotel. Something, there's a guy there. There's, there's, a, a, there's a, a very scary man <laughs> in, the, in the lobby. Holly shows up and he says, I need a cab. And he's like, this guy's been waiting for you. But Holly doesn't hear that. And he goes, great, thanks. And he gets <laughs> oh, in the cab. The creepy guy's been waiting for me. Let's go. And now the key creepy guy's driving at 9 million miles an hour through Vienna. And and Holly's like, if you're going to kill me, just kill me. Kill me now. <laughs> here, here, take this gun. I'm going to slip it through the bars of the cab. Take it and shoot me. Shoot me. Don't you hear me? Here, I'm going to cut my own throat. And then you can say you killed me. I'll just save you the time. But then the cab stops suddenly, and mm-hmm. and Holly gets out, and Old Man Crabbin is there. That's right. The cab driver took him to the writer's worst nightmare. <laughs> yes, he has to give a speech to a group. About writing. About writing. That, about the modern novel. That he novel. hasn't prepared for. Yeah. That he didn't even and, want to do, that he just said he would do so he got to be, so he got to stay in town. And they also think that he is a literary writer yeah. and not a writer of pulp westerns. Yes, and and, and not and as it turns out, as as we see, the, the the talk goes very badly because not only is Holly a writer who focuses on on writing popular fiction, he apparently doesn't even know anything about literary no, fiction. He's not interested. He knows in that Zane Grey, yeah. and that's it. And the audience starts getting angry. They start asking angry questions. Like, where would you put James Joyce? He's like, what? I don't even know him. Is he here? (laughs) I don't know where to put him. Why don't you ask him? Where does he want to go? (laughs) I've become increasingly upset. (laughs) (laughs) And just as everyone's starting to leave, who shows up, Steve? Good old Popescu. And Popescu, very friendly and very politely, threatens Holly's life. (laughs) Very politely threatens to murder him if he doesn't stop poking his nose into the hairy lime affair. That's right. And uh, as Holly tries to leave to the front, he sees that Popescu has a couple of goons. Yeah. And so he amscrays it out the back and up a flight of stairs and into a room. And then he's bitten by a parrot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And I just want to note in, in the, the synopsis that I have in front of me to remind me of what happens in the movie, uh, because I cheat. Uh, it, the, the parrot is referred to delightfully as an unexpected parrot. <laughs> 
<laughs> those are the worst, aren't they? If I'm going to write a book about this, I'm going to call it that. An unexpected parrot. What happened to your finger, Holly? Oh, that I was bitten by an unexpected parrot. Vienna is known for its un- un- unexpected parrots, <laughs> Mr. Martins. Well, I wish somebody had told me. Uh, well, we would like to keep it a secret. We're trying to get tourism up. You did see our wonderful misery carousel, did you not? <laughs> <laughs> so he he gets away. Uh, he 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 hides in the rubble while the uh, the the thugs mm-hmm. chase him. In, and, and he finds a bombed car and hides in it. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, he goes to to the police station to talk to uh, Sergeant or Major Calloway. Yeah, and Calloway's like, "All right, I've had enough of this shit. Sit down. I'm going to tell you everything you need to know about Harry Lime. He's an asshole. He's a murdering asshole." Tell them, Steve, why he thinks Harry Lime is a murdering asshole. Oh, well, it's it's kind of a funny story. Um, <laughs> after the war, uh, medical supplies in Vienna were kind of hard to come by. Yeah. So Harry started a racket where people would steal penicillin from hospitals. <laughs> and then That's great. They would steal penicillin and then they would water it down. <laughs> and then they would sell it back to the hospitals. And it wouldn't work, they, would it? They would use it on sick children, and it wouldn't work, <laughs> and the children would die. Yeah, like the children with meningitis. Yeah. As Calloway says, the lucky ones died. The rest of them are in asylums. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so in light of that information... I'll just say this. Fuck Harry Lime. Fuck you for being his friend. (laughs) And now we're going to show you all the evidence we have to support this whole Harry Lime's an asshole thing. So shut up and watch this slideshow. And they show him slides. And they bring out all the evidence they have, and it's a lot of evidence. Oh, yeah. We get a little little kind of uh, time-lapse montage of uh, the Major showing him the evidence. Uh Uh-huh. And then we cut to something that I I don't remember, but I when I saw it this time, I was like, motherfucker, it's 1950. Yeah, this was made in Britain. <laughs> <laughs> Holly's hanging out in a bar, and in the bar is a woman with pasties on just dancing her little heart out. Yep. I think that's the bit that got cut out for the American release. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Selznick was like, oh, no, 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 no. Now, you might think that she's the floor show. I like to think she's just someone that went nutty off the bad penicillin that was being handed out. And she just does this. Exactly. She's like, I'm going out again, Mutter. No. You put those pasties back. I found where you hid the Mutter. I'm going to the bar. I'm going to dance with pasty dance. Greta, no. You were a librarian. Why do you do this? Not (laughs) anymore. I'm free and there's nothing you can do about it. Goodbye. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to wrap this blanket around me and become a blanket bitch. <laughs> oh. So, um, yeah, she's just letting it all hang out, and he's sitting there, and there's a lot of women there. Yeah. There's a lot of women there, and he uh, sees a, uh, a flower witch that's uh, <laughs> leaning up against the pole, and he buys all the flowers from the flower witch. Yeah. And uh, he shows up at uh, at uh, Anna's place. Yeah, and he says, here, I bought you all the flowers in town. Yeah, but first we see her lying in bed, and we get a very, very subtle bit of filmmaking where we see that not only is she wearing Harry's pajamas, but the HL is right over her heart. Yeah. Oh. She loves him. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> So uh, he shows up, gives her flowers. Uh, they talk a little bit back and forth. 
uh, a cat shows up and he and Holly tries to play with it and the cat's like look buddy I only liked one person in the whole world listen audience I liked one person in the whole world and that was Harry Lime are you Harry Lime no fuck off I'm leaving bye bye the cat takes off <laughs> goodbye we're done here <laughs> And they're still talking upstairs, and oh no, Steve, there's someone outside yes. on the street hiding in someone, the doorway. Someone walks out and stands under, in a doorway underneath Anna's window. And now, uh, that cat that left the building somehow, just I guess jumped four stories directly down onto the pavement, <laughs> yep. is walking down the street and walks up and starts rubbing on the feet of that person that we can't really see. <gasps> but I thought that and cat... And playing with the shoelaces. I thought that cat only liked hairy lime. Maybe that cat said that just to get away from Holly. Maybe he just doesn't like Holly. Yeah, he, pro- he could tell that he was drunk and he just wanted to make an excuse and get out of there. <laughs> Look, I'm really drunk. I'm really... Meow, meow, bye-bye. Come on, kitty. And now my cat has jumped up here. What is going on? I'm about to talk about dogs and the dogs start barking. I start talking about Harry Lime's stupid cat and my cat's here. <laughs> oh, you want- Hello, cat. <laughs> you have a cat. What about your cat, Jason? <laughs> All right, so... Uh, they have some more banter, and then he leaves, and he's walking down the street, and he sees the guy in the alcove. Yeah. And he's like, I'm done. I don't care if you murder me. Kill me. I don't care. You're really bad at following me. Just come on out in the light and show it to me. I'm loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's so loud, in fact, that uh, a woman across the street, mm-hmm. wanting to see what all the noise is about, turns on yep. her light. <gasps> and we get the greatest character reveal of anyone ever filmed to this day. Oh, boy. Yeah, I don't even know what second place would be. It's it's. There is no the second place because it's there, too. Be- because <laughs> Hello, it's me again. <laughs> Because the light flashes on, illuminates the doorway, and standing there smirking at Holly is mm-hmm. Orson Welles, a.k.a. Right. And Harry now, Lime. If, if you've watched it for the first time, this is the first time you watch it, you're like, oh, it's, it's Orson Welles. And you're like, why, are, why is, is this? Why is this? And then, and then Holly says, Harry? Harry? <laughs> and he gives you that fucking cat-eating grin, yeah. like, oh, like, I, oh, boy, <laughs> this is so much fun. Yes. <laughs> and then the, the lady goes, oh, I've just, uh, I've uncovered a major plot point. Well, I'm going back to bed now. Good night. Bye. And she shuts the, turns off the light, and uh, Holly runs up to the alcove, and he's gone, but he hears footsteps running down the street, and he chases him down the street, and then into this big square, and there's nobody there. Yeah. And he's like, oh, so who does he go tell? He goes and tells Callaway. Yeah, and Callaway shows up, and he's like, okay, let me get this straight. <laughs> You're drunk, <laughs> and you saw your dead best friend, right? And he's like, yeah, he ran down here. And, uh, oh, and also I forgot, when he chased him down the street, uh, he wanted to make sure that he was sober, and so he starts splashing water in his face from a fountain. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's really subtle that it's water that uh, was peed out by that Cupid that's standing there. <laughs> and then Holly notices that it's water that's peed out by that <laughs> and he splashes the Cupid. Like, huh, oh, whatever. <laughs> 
Um, anyway, so uh, then they they go, oh, well, you said he ran down here and there's nowhere he could possibly. And then he goes, ah, there's a thing there, right, Steve? Yeah, there's like a, like a, a booth or a kiosk just kind of standing. A men's, it's a men's bathroom. It's a public men's yeah. bathroom in the middle of the square. Because, you know, if you're one of those types of people who like to pee in public but you don't want anyone to see you peeing, then you got this thing. Except um, <laughs> well, you, I mean, inside of it. <laughs> you could pee in it. It goes right down to the sewer. Yeah, it does. There's this, like, spiral staircase going all the way down to the sewer. And uh, Calloway's like, hmm, well, maybe there's something to this. <laughs> um, tell you what, pain? Yes, sir. <laughs> Go find that uh, Dr. Frankenstein chap. I believe he is a man who's good at unburying coffins. <laughs> <laughs> I believe the next step we should do is to uh, dig up Harry Lime's grave. And they do it, don't they? Yeah, they do. Like, immediately. <laughs> and is Harry in it? Uh, funny you should mention that. No, he's not. No, he isn't in there at all. No, it's actually it's actually Joe Harbin, the guy that uh, that they said was working with. Him, they said yeah. that Harry was working with, who was an orderly in the hospital, who apparently helped him steal the penicillin. Yep. So Harbin got what was coming to yeah, him. Yeah, the bastard. And so, um, meanwhile, uh, Anna gets arrested because the Russian people are like, Excuse me, we very much like the passport of lady who is with the passport is bad. We wish to for arrest. And he gives them the passport and they go arrest her. Despite all of the magics placed upon them by the blanket witch. <laughs> and, and they take her back to, uh... Um, the station and uh, Holly's there and he's like hi Holly Harry's still alive or something and then uh, Calloway tells Anna he's like hey Anna when was the last time you saw Harry Lyon which is like when he was I don't know like weeks ago before he's dead and he's like he's not dead there's someone else in the coffin come clean and she's like oh I'm happy that he's alive yippity yippity and then that scene's over (laughs) (laughs) And then Holly goes to, uh, is it Lime's house? No, to the doctor's house. To the doctor's house, house and, and Kurtz is there. Yeah, Kurtz is out there on the balcony in his smoking jacket, and so is the doctor. And he's like, hey, I know he's in there. Tell him I want to see him. I'm going over here to the bleakest carnival ever filmed. <laughs> And tell him I want to meet him. And so he goes there. It's literally like one of... It's like, it's like a carnival from a Joker comic book. Yeah. It, it is so bleak. Nobody's there. <laughs> it doesn't look like fun at no, all. No, it's, it's just an empty Ferris wheel and Joseph Cotton leaning against it smoking a cigarette. And yeah. there's your carnival. And who shows up still? Uh, well, none other than Harry Lime. Comes walking right up and from the other side of the carousel. Smiling. Yeah. And he's like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> And Holly's like, "We going to talk about what's going on?" And he's like, "Hey, let's go on a let's go let's go on a Ferris wheel ride. That'll be fun, right?" Okay. And they get in the Ferris wheel ride, and um, Holly finds out that his friend is a sociopath. <laughs> Turns out he's pure evil. Yep, he kind of is done with the whole morality thing, and like thinking that people are people anymore <laughs> yeah yeah because holly uh holly tells him you know I, the police told me everything and harry's like oh yeah <laughs> so i sold some phony penicillin to people i mean come on people don't even I mean, look at them down there yeah and he says Funny. he says people don't even think in terms of individuals anymore so why should i oh yeah. okay <laughs> you want to get going come in on this uh pretending to be dead business with me it's great and holly's kind of like no 
and then he kind of casually it's kind of he opens the door to the carousel ride safety violation number yeah, one he should not even Harry. be able to open that door okay yeah and he's kind of like i don't think anyone would investigate you for being dead if you fell out of a carousel for no reason but I wouldn't kill you because you're my friend. I couldn't kill you any more than you could kill me. That's gonna get right. That's gonna get tested really, really, <laughs> really hard later on. And then he's like, "Well, I'm gonna go, guys. We're skipping over a lot of dialogue because, quite honestly, this entire scene is probably a perfect scene from. Oh, it's one of the great scenes ever. From the it's, moment yeah. that Harry walks up to when he leaves is the reason why Orson Welles is a fucking genius. <laughs> <laughs> and it also helps that these two actors had been working together for decades at this point. Absolutely. Yeah, Joseph Cotton and Orson Welles were old friends. Yeah. So it really does help the idea that these two are friends and the, their interactions together are perfect. I know I'm reviewing the movie beforehand, but fuck it. I don't care. Do you care? I don't How can care. you not? <laughs> How can you just summarize this scene and not editorialize a little bit? I mean, it, it's literally <laughs> one of the greatest scenes ever from any movie. <laughs> So now, uh, it turns out Calloway wants Holly to meet with Harry so that they can go arrest him. And Holly's like, I ain't gonna do it. And then he sees on the desk, what does he see on the desk? He sees Anna's passport. And he's like, hey, let's make, let's make a deal. You you help Anna, and I'll and I'll help you get, get Harry. Because, you know, Holly's a little sweet on Anna, and who would be sweet on Anna? I'd be sweet on Anna. I'd bull. <laughs> <laughs> She's 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 pretty and she's an actress and she's smart. She is. Kind of. yeah, I mean, she, of course, she's she's a little hung up on an irredeemable sociopath. That's true, but, but you know, that's real true. Nobody's perfect, you know. Nobody's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so uh, Sergeant Payne takes Anna to the train, and uh, he's like, "Well, goodbye, Miss." Uh, and she's like, "Why? Why is Callaway doing this?" And he's like, oh, "No, I don't know anything." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's sitting in a car waiting to go, and she looks out the window, and who does she see? She sees Holly. Yeah, Holly's going into the bar, and she gets out of the train, yeah. she goes into the bar, and she's like, why are you here? And Harry's like, because I love you, and I wanted to make sure that you got out of here good. And she's like, no, really, seriously, I don't understand what's going on. Uh, they're letting me go, and I don't got to go to Russia, and... Callaway's helping me now, and you're here, and oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, and eventually Holly admits that he maybe, mm -hmm. possibly, yeah. might have agreed to help Callaway catch Harry. Yeah. Also, maybe. I'd like to point out at one point she accidentally calls him Harry. She does that a couple of yeah, times she in does. the movie, and and he the second time he corrects her, and he's a little exasperated. With he, actually he, he actually smiles. He actually kind of likes it. He kind of likes the fact that she's calling him Harry because she loves Harry. Yeah, and he so, wants her to love him. He's like, "I'll take it." Yeah, I'll take it. You call me Harry all the time. Call me Harry while we're naked. I won't care. <laughs> I'll be Harry for you, baby. <laughs> Fuck it. I'll be Gus or Joe or whoever else you call me. <laughs> call me any name you want, please. You just can call me. me Hitler so long as it's in the sack. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's who I am. I don't care. <laughs> I just want love. Anna misses her train. And yep. she now hates Holly because of the deal. 
She's like, you're not yep. using me as a pawn to catch Harry. How dare you? I'm ripping up all the stuff they gave me. Go fuck yourself. And uh, Holly has second thoughts about catching Harry now. And yeah. he tells Calloway, I'm having second thoughts about uh, catching Harry now. I just, I, you know, my heart's not in it. Calloway goes, okay, um, give me a moment so I can stick a knife in your heart a couple of times. We're going to a hospital. Won't that be fun? <laughs> I just have to make a quick stop on the way to dropping you at the airport. Uh, there's some friends <laughs> I have at the children's hospital. Come, why don't you come in? It'll be loads of fun. You'll laugh your way through it. <laughs> oh, oh dear, it seems all my friends at the children's hospital are dead. Or dead, or dying, or Whoops. can't breathe, or are crazy from the meningitis. Guess why, asshole? I'll give you one guess. One big guess. Oh, look, a dead teddy bear. Metaphor! <laughs> this teddy bear so, wouldn't be dead now if he had had penicillin. <laughs> so, finally, Holly, the, even, yeah. even after all of that, he still is, is clearly reluctant. Mm-hmm. But he's like, but you he, win. He says, okay. My friend, is, my friend is awful. We'll do it. <laughs> and so he agrees to meet Harry on Gloomy Rubble Street Cafe, where they're... <laughs> yes. Where... <laughs> He's in the cafe waiting to meet Harry, and there's a whole bunch of agents from all different countries waiting in the shadows for Harry yeah. to show up. And who shows up? Who shows up? It's it's the balloon man. That's right. Those people don't know this, and it's still on the brochures in Vienna today. It says Vienna is a beautiful city, but beware of the Vienna balloon man. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to sell you a balloon. He's he like needs a, to sell you a balloon. He's like, he will sell you a balloon. He's like the evil thing from It Follows. He's just like, oh, balloon, balloon, balloon. <laughs> and he sees he sees Callaway in pain. And he's like, balloon. <laughs> <laughs> just, just buy a balloon. I don't want a balloon, sir. I don't like balloons. A fine, I'll get one. Give me one balloon and go away. Fuck off, being a balloon man. Balloon! <laughs> <laughs> and he vanished into smoke. As soon as the police like, foomph. <laughs> I don't mean to tell you that between the blanket witches, the flower witches, and the Vienna balloon man, I hate this city, Payne. I hate it. I wish we I had bombed it flat. Transfer. How come this couldn't have been Dresden too? <laughs> No, don't start that again, sir. I can't help it. <laughs> you don't hear of the Dresden balloon man, do you? You don't want to know why? He burned alive, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to a dark place, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, Harry does show up, doesn't he? Yeah, at, at first he, he overlooks the cafe yeah. uh, from rubble across the street. Mm-hmm. And then he sneaks in through the back way. But first, Anna shows up. That's right. Yeah, Anna shows up and to, to sort of continue she's giving not Holly done a hard yelling time. Yelling at Holly about what's yeah. going on. Yeah, I was thinking, and another thing. <laughs> <laughs> and and Holly's like, you need to get out of here, otherwise Harry's going to come in and overhear you say something, and then the jig will be up. And that's exactly what happens. Harry yeah. comes in right when she says, "I hope you're, I hope you're proud of being a police informant." <laughs> yeah, and Harry's like, "What?" Uh-huh. And then what? they all see Harry, and then Anna says, "Harry, run! It's a trap!" And then, April and Akbar, then Harry runs. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> Harry takes his gun out and he runs out the back. And now we have an extended foot chase through the sewers, right? Mm. Yeah, because Harry runs straight down into the sewers. 
where he hopes to escape, but as he finds out over and over They've again... They've thrown po- every single military person into the sewers. Yeah, the the police are ready for him. They're they're all they're crawling through the sewers after him, and they have people posted at all of the outlets where he could possibly escape. Yep. So he's, he's stuck he's in the sewers, like all of those rats that you see in the sewers. He's trapped <laughs> just like them, and uh, uh, he jumps into this one hallway, and uh, and Holly sees him, and Holly is with Calloway in pain. And uh, Holly says, Harry, stop! And he starts running away, and he gets into an alcove, and they come running up. And then... And then... Go ahead. And then Harry shoots Payne. He shoots Payne. And he dies! Payne dies. (laughs) He's like, ooh, jolly rotten luck, and he falls over! (laughs) Oh, what a thing to happen. Calloway is immensely upset. He shoots... He hits Harry. Yes. Harry falls down. Harry starts crawling through the sewers and he finds this um, iron uh, spiral staircase and he starts crawling up it because up above he can see a grate and that grate doesn't have anybody guarded at it. If he could just get out of the gate, his legs will magically heal themselves. He won't be <laughs> he won't be critically wounded no more and he'll be free. Right, Steve? Absolutely. So he's crawling up there. Calloway is mourning his dead friend the best way he keep can as a British person, which is with quiet stoicism looking at his corpse. And Holly takes off. He takes <laughs> Payne's gun and he takes off after Harry. Right? Yeah. And he catches up to him, and and Harry looks back at at Holly, and Holly looks at him, and then Calloway is like, Martins, what the f- Oh, bloody hell! Martins, be careful! Shoot him, for Christ's sake! Shoot the fuck out of him! He's a bastard! I've lost my pain! (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, Harry gives him a little nod. Just yeah. a little bit of a nod, saying, it's okay, buddy. I'm dead anyways. If they catch me, I'm dead. I'm probably bleeding to death right now. And I tried the top of it. My fingers poked up out of the top of that thing, and I tried to get out, and it's not moving. I'm I'm trapped, and I don't want to live no more. They don't say that out loud, but that's what we pick up on. There's, there's a little nod. Because if yeah. we haven't mentioned it yet, this movie is fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we hear a gunshot. And then we see Holly walking down the hallway, don't we? Yep, all by himself. Yep. Now now Harry's dead for real. And we cut to Harry's other funeral. <laughs> Harry's new funeral. And not as many people are there, are they? Yes. <laughs> new and improved, now with Harry's actual corpse. Yeah, Calloway's there and he's like, oh, Payne would have loved this. He loved funerals. He loved, he would have loved Harry Lyme's funeral. Oh, as soon as everyone's gone, I'm unburying him. I'm defiling that corpse. How dare you? <laughs> I'm going to shoot him five or six more times at least. With my butt. I'm going to poo on his corpse. That's what I'm going to do. You heard me. <laughs> I'm going to shoot him with my butt. I loved pain. <laughs> I'm going to shoot him with my butt. With my poop bullets. That's right. I've sunken this low. <laughs> I don't care anymore. <laughs> and uh, Anna's there. And she leaves. Now, the other two guys aren't there because they've been arrested, right? Yep. Yep. They're bad men. Yeah. And uh, they climb into their Jeep, and uh, Calloway's like, I'll take you to the airport. And they drive past Anna, walking alone on the street. And uh, Holly's like, I'm getting out. I'm getting out because I want her. And Calloway's like, oh, for the love of God. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Do you know how many plane tickets? These aren't refundable. I've bought you plane tickets at least five times in the last two weeks. They're not cheap. Air travel is expensive in 1950. He's like, I gotta. And he's like, very well. And he gets out. All right, whatever. 
He leans up against a, a, a cart filled with chopped logs as Anna, in the center of the frame, comes walking down the road. And you're like, oh, what's going to happen? Is she going to walk up to him? Are they going to get together? Are they going to Are they gonna be... They're gonna, this could be a happy ending? Well, if David O. Selznick had his way, it would have. But we ain't dealing with Hollywood this time around. And we know Anna's character. And she isn't going to have a sudden about faith after Harry's dead. Oh, <laughs> no, she? no, no. No, what does nope. she do? She walks right by without even so much as a look. Fucking right. Compl- completely blows him off, walks off, walks toward camera, walks out of the frame, and Holly is just sitting there. He uh, throws a cigarette into the room. Lights road. a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> throws his <laughs> He's like, oh, shit. That's it. <laughs> the end, Steve? The end, he, you know what I love for with this final shot? We fade to black right after we see him dejectedly throw down his match. That's right. <laughs> he lights his cigarette, fucking gives his match a pitch, like, ah, shit. What were you thinking? And that's it. Oh, that's right, Holly. The, over, the reoccurring theme in the movie is that you can't read people. That you always <laughs> think that people are something else when they're not the thing you think they are. That drives this entire plot. And guess what, Holly? You're still doing it. You thought, I know. She told me to fuck off in the cafe. But after the man that she's in love with is dead because of me, because I literally shot him, (laughs) she'll come back to me. You'll see. You'll see. Watch. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, shit. There she goes. The end, right, Steve? The end. Can we review? Can we do, recap the plot again? <laughs> yeah, let's just let's just do this show again. Fuck it. <laughs> no, no, no. We won't subject the audience to that. Okay, Steve. Now hey, it's man. time for our thoughts on <laughs> this classic film. I don't care. It's a classic film. Oh God. The Third Man, Steve. <laughs> no surprise. I really like this movie. <laughs> um. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. Shut it's up. A little overrated. I'm not no, taking um, that this it, time around. You you better gush like you've never gushed before. I better be <laughs> dripping with your gushiness. You better love it. Yeah, it's you know, it's one of it's one of the great films ever made. It's one of those movies that is it it it's good at everything. It looks gorgeous. It's gorgeously shot. Mm-hmm. It's perfectly paced and edited. The acting is is as good as you will. Ever find in any movie um it's just it's just it's perfect or if not perfect damn near perfect yep. it's i mean and it's 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 almost difficult to describe because after i watched it uh i watched it the night before we we're recording this and uh after we had finished watching it my wife said so what is we you know why do you love this movie so much mm-hmm. and it kind of caught me off guard mm-hmm. because it's difficult to summarize like exactly what it is because it's so many things yeah it's just one of those movies that it just every it's it's like watching uh watching the olympics watching gymnastics mm-hmm. and someone doing a really difficult routine and just nailing every single spot yep you know um and it's there are there are things about it that we can talk about that it excels at but the you mean everything the general <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the the general message is that it just, everything it tries to do, it does exceptionally well. Yeah. And, and it, every, it, it doesn't miss a single shot. Every shot that it takes, it makes bullseye. 
Um, the the acting is amazing. Mm-hmm. Joseph Cotton, one of my very favorite actors, and a wonderfully understated actor. One of those actors who he was sort of when his on screen persona is kind of halfway between a sort of classical uh, actor mm-hmm. and uh, and sort of a, a later kind of method actor. Mm-hmm. He because he's he's able to to do things with a great deal of precision, like you would expect from a classically trained uh, actor from the the 30s and 40s. And of course, he he got a start in radio um and but he also is able to bring a great deal of naturalism and a great deal of subtlety and he underplays so many moments in this movie um that it's just extraordinary and you, you know orson wells is orson wells mm-hmm. and has that perfect shit-eating grin in his first shot when he <laughs> smiles at holly like ain't i a stinker it's me i'm harry i'm alive uh and then goes on to be like really just absolutely chilling in that mm-hmm. in that ferris wheel scene where while still, still charming and still he's, oh he's super charming and funny he is playing and, and... so many levels in that scene he is playing this guy's genuine friend yeah he's playing the sociopath uh, of vienna who has no problems with killing people for profit oh god and tries yeah, he... to justify it to his friend he said if someone said i give you twenty thousand dollars for every single life for every life that you take down there would you you know would you say no or would you start calculating how many of those lives you need to take to reach the amount of money you'd be happy with and he says it in such a way that it's he's making it sound reasonable, even though he's saying awful things. <laughs> well, because because he really believes it. Yep. I mean he he's not just he's not just making an excuse so that his friend won't think less of him. You can tell that he that he really believes that mm-hmm. he really believes that he's completely justified in what he has done, yep. and that any reasonable person in his position would have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what makes it so so chilling. And one of the things that I love the most about the movie is the way it plays with this this loyalty that that mostly that that Holly and um and Anna feel to Harry yeah. that even though they both come to realize by the end of the movie that Harry is just a complete bastard is is responsible for the deaths of children in hospitals and soldiers mm-hmm. wounded soldiers dying of gangrene because he sold them bad penicillin mm-hmm. um they Holly and 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 Anna both come to a full awareness and acceptance that Harry is just an evil guy and yet they still feel bad about having to turn on him and Anna never really does turn no, on she him. Never Anna does. stays loyal to him forever mm-hmm. uh, and and Holly finally does turn on him after be basically after <laughs> after Calloway shoves his face into a room full of dead kids yeah. and says okay is this enough is this enough to convince you that mm-hmm. we need to catch this guy uh, and he's and even then he's like all right fine I'll help you um and what i find so interesting is that that loyalty and that uh that need to see the best in your friends even when you should know better and even when part of you does know better in a way is also what gets harry caught mm-hmm. because because harry knows harry, that holly yeah. has gone to the police at the end harry because everyone tells him harry's not harry's not stupid enough to show up a second yeah. time but harry still shows up a second time he shows up a second time because Holly is his friend yep. and he trusts him. Mm-hmm. And even though he knows that Holly has gone to the police and he knows that Holly has already kind of sort of sold him out a little bit, 
uh, he still believes that Holly is his friend and wouldn't ever actually do anything to harm him. So he's he's genuinely surprised when Anna says, you know, Harry, run, and he realizes it's a trap. Yeah. Um, and so it, it, it becomes not only the potential downfall of, of Holly and Anna, but it becomes the cause of the downfall of Harry, mm-hmm. this sort of misplaced trust or this this desire to see the best in people even when you know you shouldn't mm-hmm. and that's that's a that's uh, you know that's a classic trait of a film noir hero yeah. and in this case it's also used uh in to to be the the downfall of the villain i mean think about some other great uh film noir movies like out of the past mm-hmm. my personal favorite film noir movie one of my favorite movies where the 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 robert mitchum character uh, is brought down ultimately by trying to do the right thing. Yeah. You know, he he wants he 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 decides he's going to turn the bad guys into the police. He's going to do the right thing. He's not going to just escape uh, and you know like get extricate himself from the bad situation. He's going to to help the authorities to catch the bad people, mm-hmm. and that brings about his downfall. And and you know that, that and you see that in many many film noir cases where the hero it's it's not it's not his character flaws that bring him down. Mm-mm. It's the good parts of him. It's yeah. his wanting to do the right thing. It's the it's his virtues that lead to his downfall. Mm-hmm. And with Harry, virtually the only virtue that we see in him <laughs> ultimately than, like, leads his, to his yeah to his death. Yeah, uh, other than his superficial charm is his loyalty to his friends, mm-hmm. and that's what leads to his death. Yeah, and it's just I mean it's oh it's just so good it's <laughs> it's just so good. I mean the the, the cinematography, the German expressionist uh, cinematography in the sewers where it's like an F W Murnau movie yep. with the shadows and the high ceilings. It's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Dutch, Dutch angles. angles. <laughs> yeah, we 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 joked before. Before we started recording, I said it's like the most exquisitely photographed episode of Batman ever mm-hmm. <laughs> because it, it, there are so many Dutch angles and and of course that lead that that increases the tension and the uncertainty in the scenes and most of the most of the scenes that are shot with a Dutch angle the angle is slanted in the direction of the exit so when the character exits the scene they're walking down yeah it's almost like they're 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 being tumbled out of the scene mm-hmm. uh, it's just it's just tremendous so I mean I, I could go on forever but I'll shut up and, and let you go because I, I I could gush forever about it. Yeah, it's me too. And that's an the thing. We're movie. trying to nip this right in the bud so that we don't go on forever <laughs> in regards to this film. Um, I This film hits a sweet spot that no other film hits. It is right. It is a, a foreign film. It is a British film. Okay. Mm-hmm. With in which it's kind of like it's like a Venn diagram. You take these three different things. You take American film noir is one one of the circles, and then you take uh, expressionist European film is the other is the other circle, and then you take uh, um, fucking kick ass awesome stuff is the third. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Uh, and 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 they all just kind of converge in this one point and the uh, there's only room in that one point for one thing and that thing is the third man and the th- what's great about the third man is that the script is perfect there's no catchphrases there's no you know there's no it, you know we have a lot of movies where they have a catchphrase that everyone repeats over and over again there's nothing like that in there the script is written as dialogue for characters in this situation and there are memorable lines that we like. I love the the line "You were born to be murdered," from <laughs> oh, Calloway man. says to to Holly in the office. But that's not the kind of line that gets retold in in in, in popular culture. <laughs> it's not something that you could just say. 
allowed. <laughs> well, you could. You could, but it would end in divorce or friends leaving you. Um, <laughs> what did you just say? <laughs> this movie is like a mixture of all of those different genres coming together to create this perfect little story um which in which it is very 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 it is a film noir okay which is i think steve and i's favorite genre to begin with <laughs> yeah but it's not your typical film noir um at the end holly yes holly doesn't get the girl very noirish but holly's not dead nor is holly seemingly scarred for the rest of his life or in jail. It's, you know, usually it's one of those three things. Holly is a good person who's conflicted because this other person who he thinks deep down is a good person. He acknowledges that Harry has had some troubles in his past, but thinking that his friend could be a murderer is going too far. He just will not believe that, okay? This movie starts out as a typical film noir where guy shows up in a foreign city, his friend has been murdered, he's going to investigate the murder, he finds out things, and but eventually you think the third man is going to be someone else, and then they subvert that expectation because the third man turns out to be the man who's supposed to be dead. So you get that revelation in the middle of it. Then they tie all of the character motivations between Harry and Holly to the very final scene. And in that very final scene where Harry is 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 basically telling Holly to shoot him, that it's okay to shoot me. Holly doesn't shoot him because it's justice. Holly doesn't shoot Harry because he's he's seeking justice for everybody that he's hurt. Holly is shooting Harry because Holly is Harry's friend. And Harry wants out. He knows he's trapped. He knows he's going to either get hung after they <laughs> after they treat him at the hospital for his wounds. They're just going to hang him. And we don't know which country. All three of them will probably do it. There'll probably be three guys on the rope. And they'll be like, let's <laughs> hang him now. Very seldom do we ever get a pivotal moment in a movie that ties everything that we've experienced up to that point so well in that one scene. It's one of the reasons why this movie is so satisfying. When Even though you're not getting what you would typically think you're going to get in a film, which is guy gets the girl, happy ending, everything's great. No, what we get? Pain. My favorite guy is dead. (laughs) Best friend has to kill other best friend. No girl. Girl still hates your fucking guts. <laughs> but you're okay with it because it feels emotionally true to what we've been presented all the way through from the beginning of this film. So aside from that, aside from the great script, aside from the fantastic cinematography, aside from the, the, the wonderful lighting, aside from its, its perfect pacing, aside from <laughs> its location, which is also well shot, um, all the actors who are wonderful, the number of times that they do subvert expectation, like when he's thrown into a cab and you think he's going to be taken to some bad guys who are going to beat him to death, and it winds up being the, the, the writer's room, or when he enters a room and he hears a noise and we think it's a baby and he's trying to tell the baby to be quiet, it's okay. Okay, and then it turns out to be a parrot that bites him. <laughs> Aside from the fact that when he shows up and, and it's a little kid who's accusing him of murder, and then instead of the entire crowd going after him, it's just the little kid. <laughs> this movie keeps you engaged from beginning to end, and there are very few films that have been have managed to do that with me, and I have seen this movie so many goddamn times that even when I watch it now, I watch the whole damn thing. It's not like I go, oh, okay, I can tune out to this part. Nope! <laughs> <laughs> 
from beginning to end, I'm engaged, and there are very few movies out there that that will engage me. Now, will some people watch it and get bored or whatever? Maybe, possibly. It's it's quite possible. But for anybody who watches film where the ability to tell a narrative story through cinema is important and you appreciate it and you love it, when you see this movie, it hooks you almost immediately. And I'm not saying that there is going to be that I, that that is going to be the gate for people, but it sure as hell does feel like it is. Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Because I've met people who I've tried to show the third man to, and they're like, oh, that was okay. Or that was nice. And they're not picking up on, on just how perfect this little this movie is. And they, they, they I would call them more casual movies. You know, I like movies. There are people who say, I like movies. And there are people who even say, I love movies. But what they mean is they love popular films. And there's nothing wrong with liking loving popular films. The love of popular films is the reason why film is still a medium today. Because if it wasn't, and it was just a handful of people who really love movies, if it was just the cinephiles driving it, film would be dead now, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but it seems to me that when I meet someone who who loves the third man, it's not by coincidence that they also have a very deep and wonderful understanding about filmmaking and about how you can tell a story through film. That their knowledge of it goes past, you know, I liked it. Why'd you like it? Oh, I just liked it. They have an understanding of why they like something and why, you know, um, when someone is using the camera to tell you something without words that you're picking up on it and you can... And, and explain it. And I know this sounds elitist on my part, and I don't mean it to be. I really don't. But the third man, and this keys into the reason why Steve and I, you know, it's kind of like, why isn't the third man, why doesn't everyone know about the third man? And that is because a casual viewer will see it as a black and white film noir movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, oh, it has kind of a twist in the middle of it. And then uh, the guy dies at the end. That's it. How is that different from everything else? But people who have an eye for these things, it's kind of like it's kind of like film noir. Not everyone likes film noir, right? Because it's dark, and it could, sometimes it can make you feel real icky <laughs> watching it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can't, guys. I can go on about the third man till kingdom come if I'm allowed to. So I'm just going to say it right now, it's a classic. And so long as there are people who study film, and so long as there are people who deeply love film, it will remain a classic with them. I don't care that the rest of the the rest of the population doesn't necessarily know about the Third Man, and that it's not as hailed as Casablanca or you know any of the other films that are out there. Um, so long as this is something that a film teacher brings out and goes, "Okay, guys, uh, I'm going to change your life now. Here's your homework <laughs> assignment." <laughs> <laughs> I'm perfectly happy. So, classic Steve, classic. Oh, abs- yes, absolutely. You know, it, it occurs to me for people if anyone is listening to this who is maybe at the beginning of their journey into being becoming a cinephile. Yeah. Um they may have an experience similar to the one I had, which is that there will be certain films when when you start to read about movies or, or you know watch documentaries of people talking about movies or the history of film. The Third Man is one of those movies that you will hear mentioned a lot. A 
being one of those movies. It's like that's like whispered about, you know, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, the third man. And because for me, it was there were two movies for me. It was because I was also interested in silent film, particularly, and it was the third man, and it was uh, City Lights, Chaplin's City Lights. Mm-hmm. Those were the movies that I heard sort of spoken about in in awed reverence. Yeah, and 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 in both cases, when I finally saw. Uh, the the actual films. It was this wonderful act of discovery and of you know oh wow this is amazing. So hopefully mm-hmm. people who who watched the movie for the first time to prepare for this or anybody listening to this who for some reason hasn't seen the movie that will be the experience that you have as well. You'll you'll be seeing a movie that you've heard a lot about from cinephiles mm-hmm. like or us. from people in the movie industry, <laughs> yeah, or film critics or whatever, and you'll discover it and you'll realize that there's this perfect little jewel. That not everybody outside of uh, movie buff circles knows a lot about, but mm-hmm. is so so worth spending, yeah. a, you know, a, a little over an hour and a half of your life to discover. Yeah. So it would be a misnomer not to say that this film has not been influential. It has been influential with filmmakers, with people who have watched yeah. it and loved it, with people who, with critics who have watched it and loved it. The people who make movies and the people who comment on movies have seen this film and love it, and they all pretty much have the same kind of complaints that we do. Why doesn't? Why don't more people know about this film? We've been talking about it now for seventy years. <laughs> um, what is your problem, everybody else? No, but that's that's not the point. Is that? We've done movies that have been influential. This movie has been influential in Hollywood in very subtle ways. And not in, like, they directly lift, but in some right. some cases in pacing, some cases in story, some cases in the pivotal scene where how many times have we seen a movie where one person has to shoot the other person and the other person is perfectly all right with being shot because it means something in the plot? Guess what that's from? Right. <laughs> so, yep, Classic. Classic, 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 classic. I'm gonna classic. keep saying it and saying it. And if you Vox guys didn't classic. watch this movie beforehand, we just wrecked it for you. But I'm gonna tell you this right now: we didn't because it's no. no. Go see it. It's still good, even though you know everything that's coming. And in point of fact, I'm gonna tell you this much right now: if you didn't see it and you know that that's Harry Lyons standing there, that scene where he gets shown is so much more satisfying the second time you watch it. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. That's what makes it such a great twist. Because yep. the first time you watch it, if you don't know it's coming, it's like, oh, what a great surprise. But yeah. now that you know it's coming, you're like, it still oh, works. This scene yeah. makes so, oh, it's so much. It takes it onto a different, exp- uh, uh, you experience it completely differently and it's still satisfying. So, yeah. Um, hey, Steve. Yeah, man. Last time we did a show, we forgot to do something. Yeah, I know. We both got we so wrapped up in Silence of the Lambs that we forgot to tell people of the other movies that we were going to recommend, and I don't even That's remember true. what I was going to recommend <laughs> at this point. Yeah. yeah, we forgot. So we're not going to forget this time, are we, Steve? Nope. Okay. Hey, guys, now it's time for us to recommend another movie. How could we possibly recommend another movie after this? I don't know. How can we even keep doing the podcast? Yeah, I know. This This really should be the last episode. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, you got your cyanide ready? We're going to drink it at the same time. <laughs> the happy birthday. We're both going to drink diluted penicillin until we die. <laughs> this one's for you, Harry. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> what movie do you have to recommend this time? I am going to recommend another film uh, starring Mr. Orson Welles. 
this one was actually also directed by Wells. Uh, it is not one of his better known directorial works, uh, <laughs> although it is it, it, it deserves to be. And mm-hmm. it's funny, we were we were talking before we started recording about how Wells was never really a commercial director. No, uh, which he certainly wasn't. But this movie I'm recommending is probably the closest he ever got to doing a commercial uh, movie and kind of a, a more formulaic like genre movie. Mm-hmm. And that movie, is, it was actually the third film that he ever finished <laughs> as a director. It's from 1946, mm-hmm. and it's called The Stranger. Oh. And it stars Wells, and it also stars Edward G. Robinson. Uh, and it is a a story about a investigator looking for a Nazi war criminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Orson Welles casts himself not as the detective. Nope. But as the Nazi. He takes the best part. <laughs> he takes the best part. Um, and it's, it's notable and it's, it's, it's a, it's a very good movie. It's a very strong, well-told movie. Uh, it was actually Wells' most successful movie at the box office, believe it or not. It's all mm-hmm. but forgotten today. We, we, now we, we are much more familiar with Citizen Kane, mm-hmm. Magnificent Ambersons, or Touch of Evil, mm-hmm. uh, or, uh, Third Man, uh, as, as film buffs, yeah. even though Wells didn't direct that. But, uh, The Stranger was actually his most financially successful film at the time. And it's a very, very good movie. It's primarily noted today for being the first Hollywood movie to use uh, documentary footage of the Holocaust. Yeah. Which is really amazing when you think that this this movie literally came out the year after the end of World War II. Mm -hmm. So for most people who saw this movie, this would have been uh, the first time that they had seen uh, what the Holocaust looked like and, and what had been done in Germany during mm-hmm. World War Two, and uh, and it was noted for that at the time. People and there were there were even contemporary reviews of the movie who said, uh, who advised people, you know, this is going to be difficult to watch, but you should watch it. You know, yeah. this is an important part of the movie, and you, you should see what this is like. Be, not only because it plays a very large role in the story, because mm-hmm. it establishes, you know, why this guy is such a bad guy, but also because it comments on something that was actually important in real life. Yeah. Um, but even without that. And that is a very important part of the movie, and it deserves to be noted for that. And Wells, I think, deserves credit just for sheer audacity to just <laughs> to put that in his movie to say, I'm going to just use some actual newsreel footage of the Holocaust. Uh, he deserves a lot of credit for taking that chance and, for, and for, for convincing the studio to let him do it. I have no idea how they... Because he wanted to cast a woman as the detective. They wouldn't mm-hmm. let him do that. Mm-hmm. He wanted... He wanted Agnes Moorhead to play the Edward G. Robinson role and play the the, the hero. Yeah. So the studio wouldn't let him do that. But then he said, "Well, can I put some Holocaust newsreels in it?" And they said, "Sure." <laughs> uh, so I don't know how I don't know how that meeting went, but but it's it's a it's a, a largely forgotten but uh, very very worth checking out movie called yeah. The Stranger, directed by Orson Welles. So that is my recommendation: find it and check it out. Yay! It's one of my favorites. It's one of my it's favorite really, movies. It's a very very good movie. Um. <clears throat> okay. So. As you know, I like taking a movie um, that was released the same year as the movie that we just reviewed and also something that's similar in tone. And I thought, oh, there's no fucking way. And (laughs) while this movie, uh, the movie that I've chosen to recommend doesn't come anywhere near the perfection that is The Third Man, it is a movie that I actually enjoy. And um, it also has a very unique uh, storyline. It is also a film noir. 
Um, and it also has probably um, one of the best opening sequences and one of the best ways to uh, suck an audience into the storyline. And that movie is called DOA. Ooh. Directed by Rudolph Matei, starring uh, Edmund O'Brien, Pamela Britton, and Luther Alder. Uh, DOA, and I'm not spoiling anything for anybody, because this is how the movie starts. Dude walks into a police station to report his own murder. <laughs> and then the rest of the movie is kind of told in flashback. And it turns out this guy uh, went to San Francisco to have a little fun, and someone slipped something in his drink. <laughs> That's going to kill him in 24 hours. And he has that amount of time to find his killers and uh, a bunch of other stuff that I don't want to bring up. Because I don't want to... If you haven't seen it, I don't want to wreck it. It's still a really good movie. Um, Black and white. Great little film noir. Well known from film noir buffs. I think they tried to remake it at some point. I think someone Mm. tried to remake the movie. I'm not sure. Um, But you know that Jason Statham movie where he was going to die... Kind of stole that from him, and then they decided, let's do it like a 14-year-old horny boy wrote the wrote the script. <laughs> and of course, that got greenlit. Oh, well, I get a second and got a sequel. But yeah. um, now that one was, if he, if, he, if he wasn't excited, if he lost adrenaline or something, he'd die. Yeah, and yeah. That's not the case in this one. This guy, guys, this guy... This, this is a film noir. I don't want to give away the ending, but it's a film noir. Okay? You can, you can, you can probably guess. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> but there is no scientist to go, I found the cure for your poison. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see it. It's fantastic. <sighs> Man, Steve. Yeah. I feel like... We entered a new chapter in late seating. Like, yeah, like we we finally got to do something really super good. You know, in That's, the past, yeah. whenever we watched something that we really liked, we followed it up with something that was horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember something that just made us angry and hate the fact that movies were ever invented in the first place. Yeah, that's that's been kind of a pattern. Yeah, it's been kind of a pattern. Guess what, Steve? What, man? I can't break that pattern. I can't oh. do it. I tried real hard. Oh, no. Steve doesn't know what movie we're going to review next. That's right. I, I, have, I have placed myself in your hands. But I know what it is. Oh, God. This is... Okay. So... We kind of have to look at it like on a scale, Steve. Uh, okay, sure. Okay, sure. Um, you have two two things on a scale. You put the you put the the the, uh, the third man on one part of the scale, and then you gotcha. got to put something on the other side of the scale that that matches it, but in oh. awfulness, so that the scales balance, Steve. Oh my God! I see now. I have I have no idea what this could be. <laughs> I do it. Oh, God. I don't even want to say the words. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, okay. I'm now you've got me curious. <laughs> the movie we're going to review <sighs> has a reputation for being very bad. Okay. And yes, after I tell you what it is, I am going to tell you guys to go see it. <laughs> it's going to be cinematic whiplash, everybody. <laughs> the movie we're going to review next on the Late Seating Podcast because I have severe deep emotional problems. <laughs> Oh, man. Is the tale of a girl who wants to be a dancer. Oh, oh man. In Las I, oh. Vegas. Oh, God, I can see it coming. I can see the train coming. Oh, the God. cinematic masterpiece? 
Showgirls. Oh boy. We will not I'm nodding be saved at you right bell. now. You better shoot me with that gun. Oh, oh god. <laughs> this show is the staircase that I'm trying to climb out of, Steve. No. Shoot me, please. <laughs> we, we, I am not so excited. Do a brother and we will a solid. Don't make me do it. Don't make me. <laughs> you, hey, you, you said this. This was your idea. <laughs> you didn't tell me. You didn't even give me a chance to talk you out of it. I was trying to mirror what was going on between Holly and Harry in in the movie. Well, you had to investigate and discover just how bad just, I had become. <laughs> just, just like Holly in the movie, even though I now no longer have any reason to, I still trust you and consider you my friend. Uh-huh. So where's the gun? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, <clears throat> that's your homework. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Go watch Showgirls, everybody. Go watch because we're going to review it on the next podcast. Boy, and we're done. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> we went from the highest highs to the lowest lows. Yes, we did. <sighs> okay, everybody. Thanks for listening for the Late Seating Podcast. This has been Jason Harding, and go see a movie this week. <laughs> And uh, this has been Steve Shives. And boy, this line I plan to use takes on added resonance now. Uh, This has been Steve Shives. And next time we'll have a foolproof coffin. (laughs) (laughs) Can I pick them or what? Uh, If only. You want to get in with me and just bury ourselves before we have to watch the movie? Yeah, exactly. Push that guy out of the way. Get in. Come on. This is the way people... This is how people think we're going to die together in each other's arms in in a cinematic coffin. We're just going to turn sideways so nobody has to lay on top of anybody. (laughs) Wait a minute. Who's that guy standing above us? Oh, shit. It's it's Paul Verhoeven. (laughs) Oh, my God. Not not until the next show, Paul. He's thrown in. He's thrown in a tablet. It's playing Showgirls on a loop. All oh the buttons God. are gone. <laughs> no, don't put the, the lid, lid on. No, <laughs> Three hundred years later, archaeologists find a coffin. Well, it appears the two corpses that are in the coffin tried to claw each other's eyes out. <laughs> put a new battery on that tablet. Let's see what was so upsetting for them. <laughs> Oh my god! Push those corpses out of the way, I'm getting in with them! <laughs> Just bury me, bury it! Bury it with me in it! <laughs> Bye, everybody! Bye, everybody! <laughs> there's something... I swear to god, there's something wrong with me. No, yeah. What kind of person finishes watching <laughs> The Third Man and goes, Oh, I know what I want to review next! <laughs> I've got it! Seriously, I need to go see a film therapist! <laughs> Why do you think you feel compelled to watch these films, Jason? Um, I like pain. (laughs) Have you always felt this way? A little bit, Dr. Lecter. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you getting the steak knives out? (laughs) Oh, no reason. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. 
You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Let Me Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Let Me Listen. And thanks for listening.